So now let's go back and concentrate on that central episode of what is historically speaking, that central episode of Padmasambhava's life, the visit to Tibet. Padmasambhava's visit to Tibet. And we may say at once that this is one of the most famous and fateful visits in the whole course of Buddhist history. It's comparable to Yuan Chuang's visit to India and Bodhidharma's visit to China. So how did it come about? How did Padmasambhava come to be invited to Tibet at all? So to understand this we have to go back a little. At the time of Padmasambhava's visit, Buddhism had been known in Tibet only about 100 years. About as long as Buddhism has been known in this country. Uh, it had been known in Tibet uh, only for a hundred years, that it would say, since the time of the great king, Shuang uh, Tsen Gampo. But Buddhism, at the time of Padmasambhava's visit, was by no means well established. A few temples had been built here and there, mainly in the capital. A few texts, a few Buddhist scriptures had been translated, but that was all. Though there were temples, there were no monasteries. There were no Tibetan monks, no Tibetan nuns. Not only that, but some of the king's most powerful ministers, including what we would call his chief minister, his prime minister, were, for various reasons, partly political, partly religious, very much opposed to the introduction of Buddhism. But it so happened that the fourth king, after Swang Sangampo, was very strongly inclined to Buddhism. We don't know how or why, but this, it seems, was the situation. And eventually, in spite of many difficulties, he managed to invite the great teacher Shantarakshita, the great head monk of Nalanda, on a visit uh, to Tibet. But even so, there was very much opposition, there were many intrigues, and the king even had to get rid of his chief minister before it was possible for the head monk to be invited. I'm afraid the king got rid of his chief minister in a rather unpleasant way, but we won't go into that now. Hmm? Uh, Shantarakshita, incidentally, was one of the greatest scholars and greatest teachers of his day in India. And a number of his works have come down to us uh, in Tibetan translation, and one in fact has come down to us in the original Sanskrit. And this is a work called the Tattvasangraha, which means compendium of principles. This is a very large work in two thick volumes and is rigorously logical in form. It criticizes all rival schools of thought and it establishes the author's own standpoint, which is known as Svatantra Yogachara. Hmm? We've no time to go into that now. Hmm? So this was the man, this was the scholar, this was the philosopher, the great teacher, Shantarakshita, who was invited by the king uh, to uh, Tibet. So on his arrival in Tibet, we are told, Shantarakshita set to work with a will. Hmm? And he taught in the king's palace for four months without interruption, every day. Hmm? So many hours. The king, the courtiers, other interested people were listening. Shantarakshita just went on teaching them. Hmm? And a Kashmiri monk, we are told, who knew Tibetan, acted as interpreter. So what did Shantarakshita teach? The accounts which have come down to us, the chronicles are very detailed, and we have a, a very clear idea, in fact even detailed information, as to what Shantarakshita taught. Hmm? And it's very interesting. 
it seems that he taught mainly three things on this occasion. He taught what are known as the ten principles of skillful action. In other words, the ten Upasaka precepts. This is what he started with. That is to say, the precepts of abstention from taking life, from taking what is not given, from sexual misconduct, from false, abusive, frivolous and slanderous speech, and from mental states of craving, aversion and wrong views. So this is what he taught first, eh? these ten principles of skillful action. And then he went on to teach what are known as the eighteen dhatus, eh? uh, which can be rendered as the eighteen elements of the perceptual situation. Hmm? These consist of the six senses, the six sense objects, and the six associated consciousnesses. There's a great deal of Buddhist psychological teaching with regards to these things. Hmm? And thirdly and lastly he taught what are known as the twelve nidanas or links. Uh, and these of course are the twelve successive stages in the process of birth, death and rebirth according to Buddhist teaching. Uh, as illustrated, for instance, in the outermost circle of the Tibetan Wheel of Life. So what are these twelve nidanas? Let's just remind ourselves of them. Uh, the first says that independence on ignorance arise what are called the karma formations. Then independence on the karma formations that arises consciousness. <coughs> independence on consciousness that arises the psychophysical organism. Independence on the psychophysical organism arise the six senses. Independence on the six senses arises contact. Independence on contact arises sensation. Independence on sensation arises craving. Independence on craving arises clinging. Independence on clinging arises the whole process of conditioned existence. And the independence on the process of conditioned existence arises birth. That is to say rebirth. And independence on birth arises old age, disease and death. And thus, the tradition says, thus arises this whole mass of suffering. The wheel takes one complete turn. So all this, apparently, Shantarakshita explained in detail. In other words, we may say that what Shantarakshita did was he gave the king and other interested Tibetans a sort of elementary course, not to say extended seminar, in Buddhist ethics, Buddhist psychology and Buddhist metaphysics. This is what he did on his arrival in Tibet to, as it were, establish the Dharma. So what was the result of all this, of his teaching, of his elementary course in Buddhist ethics and psychology and metaphysics? The result was, we are told, that the gods of Tibet became very angry. Hmm? Uh, one of the king's palaces was struck by lightning. Another was swept away by a flood. The harvest was badly damaged and there was a great epidemic. And so, uh, terrible, in fact, was the reaction from the gods that Shantarakshita had to leave Tibet and retire, discomforted, to Nepal. Hmm? That was the result of his teaching. And before he left, he took the king aside, we are told, and quietly gave him some good advice. And he said, the situation's beyond me. I can't handle this. Hmm? But in India, there's a great spiritual master called Padmasambhava. 
he would be able to overcome the gods of Tibet. So send for him. I shall also write, but you extend an official invitation. So in this way, Padmasambhava came to be invited to Tibet. It was approximately, it was round about the year 750. <coughs> so on his arrival in Tibet, he too, like Shantarakshita, set to work with a will, but in a different way. Padmasambhava did not give any discourses, not at this stage anyway, didn't hold any seminars. Huh? He said nothing at all about the 18 Dhatus or the 12 Nidanas. He just devoted himself, we are told, to overcoming the gods and goddesses of Tibet. And, as you can well imagine, there are very many highly colourful legends in this connection. And they all end by telling us that Padmasambhava not only overcame the gods and goddesses of Tibet, but converted them to Buddhism. Uh, we're told that he initiated them and he entrusted to them the task of protecting the Dharma in Tibet. They all became guardian deities. And when this had been done, when the gods and goddesses of Tibet had been overcome by Padmasambhava, Shantarakshita, now that the coast was clear, returned from Nepal, where he'd been waiting, to Tibet. And with the help of the king, a great monastery was built in southeast Tibet. And we're given a detailed description of this monastery. Uh, the layout of it, the ground plan of it, as it were, was very interesting. It was highly symbolical. Right in the middle, there was a three-story temple to the great Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. And this three-story temple represented the central mountain of existence, according to Buddhist symbolical cosmology. And at each of the four cardinal points, there was a large temple and a small temple. These represented the traditional four continents. There was a temple for the sun, there was a temple for the moon, and there were four stupas of different colours, as well as various other buildings. And the whole complex, the whole area, was enclosed by an enormous circular wall. And this was the first Buddhist monastery in Tibet, and it was known as Samye. And it is still standing, almost intact. And the consecration ceremony, uh, at the end of the building, the consecration ceremony was performed jointly by Shantarakshita and Padmasambhava. They did it together. And then, we're told, twelve Hinayana monks were brought from India to live in the monastery. And seven young Tibetans volunteered to become monks. But to that time, up to that time, uh, no Tibetan had ever been ordained. No Tibetan had ever become a monk. So Shantarakshita thought, well, we don't know what these Tibetans are like. You know, whether they are fit for this life, whether they can be monks or not, we don't know. So let's proceed cautiously. So he put them all on probation for a while huh, to test them. And they're known in Tibetan Buddhist history as the seven men on trial. Hmm? 
But apparently Shantarakshita was fully satisfied with them in the end, so they were ordained with Shantarakshita himself acting as the preceptor or chief monk and a number of the seven subsequently became very well known in Tibetan religious history, especially one called Varochanavakshita, who was a great translator. And in this way, Buddhism came to be properly established in Tibet for the first 